fighting to tell them who they are and what they ought to be and what they ought to do. And I just ask, Lord, that you would draw yourself near to them tonight, God. That as we draw near to you, that you would be faithful to your word and that you would draw near to us. And so we come before you this evening giving you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that you would speak clearly and openly and honestly with us, Lord Jesus. We look to you in all things and ask this in your mighty and precious name. Amen. All right, do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not supposed to be like you. Do it. Turn back to them and say, God made me unique. All right. That wasn't, that wasn't very succinct. Ready? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not supposed to be like you. God made me unique. How many of y'all have a Bible with you tonight? If you don't have a Bible, please, please raise your hand. Do we still hand out Bibles up in here? Yeah, please raise your hand. You're going to need it tonight. You're going to want it tonight. And I'm going to encourage you that if you don't have a Bible, that you should take this one home with you. And you should underline and highlight. And I hope that I send you out wanting and desiring more and more here. If you came and you did not have a Bible, and this is your first time being in the Bible, you have no idea where to go. I'm sure there's plenty of people around you that will help you get to this place. For everyone, let's all turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll give you a couple minutes to turn there. You know, the last time I was here, we weren't allowed to have a stage, so I'm a little jealous about this right now for the years that I was here, and uh, I'm, I'm reminiscing a little bit because I used to do this with no shoes on and a hoodie up here with some coffee, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit, a uh, little choked up from where the Lord has brought me and where we are currently, and I want to share a little bit of that with you tonight. And I want you to hang in with me to kind of hear a little bit because it's all for very good reason for our passage this evening. So I want you to just hang in Ephesians 2 and um, give me a little bit of grace as I start you from the beginning. I grew up in a little town called Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. It's about 20 minutes uh, south of the Philly airport, right? Everybody knows where Philly is. And um, I grew up with a father who was a detective and a police officer all of my life. My mother uh, was in healthcare. She actually wrote HIPAA. Like, you all go into a doctor's office, and you have to sign that HIPAA form. My, my mom, like, wrote that. So, needless to say, she travels a lot, still does. She traveled a lot when I was younger, especially when I was your age. And when my mother was traveling, my dad was working crazy hours because police officers are constantly in and out. And as a detective, I still probably don't know the half of the things that he saw and went through while he was in that place, but um, I grew up in a place where my mother grew up on a farm, and because of that, 
we actually lived on a piece of property that was sort of connected via, via woods to her grandparents' property, my great-grandparents, that used to be their farm. And so we had horses and pigs and chickens. Um, and you walked into my house, and I remember getting into high school, and it's starting to be weird to people, right? We're in this kind of really well-off uh, area. My school's lots of wealthy people. My parents aren't um, not wealthy, but they're in this place where we didn't live like it, right? I didn't, I didn't have all the nice clothes everybody had. And then high school hit, and people started drinking and doing all the drugs and that fun stuff, and my dad was a detective, right? So I was never really able to even fit in with that crowd um, until I built a little bit more trust up and went through some crazy stuff in the, in the end of high school. But I say all of this because my life was not all bad, but the bad was so vivid in my mind that as soon as I was able to get out, I got out. And I'll give you a little glimpses of it. When I was, uh, I was 14 years old, um, I remember, remember my mom and dad had been fighting for a week. I mean, it was like weeks on end. And they would go through this kind of cycle of stuff. And uh, my dad would get really, really depressed. And he, uh, you know, he's got the BMW. They have the million and a half dollar house that it's worth now. They were buying a beach house at the time. And and uh, we were going on four vacations a year. And I remember my dad was so bad one day after they had fought. He did something to my mom um, that I witnessed. And about four hours later, I went across the street where I normally go when stuff's going bad in my house. It was this big open field. Um, it was where I can remember the Lord really meeting me for the first time in that period of life. I didn't have a church like this. I, I grew up in a Methodist church, and, and uh, nobody really talked about God. So when, when the Word of God was introduced to me, when God revealed Himself to me, um, it was really He, myself, and the Word, and some hip-hop and rap artists. But I remember going across the street this day, and my dad had parked his BMW um, in the driveway of this park, and I walked up to the car, because uh, the window was down, and he had his gun to his head, and he was crying and said, I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't take this anymore. And um, I remember pleading with him and crying, and he told me, everything's going to be okay, and he drove off. That was one of thousands of memories that I left my house with. And in fact, I ran inwardly in my soul. I ran outwardly in just doing anything I possibly could to get away. Even in high school, the friends that I had were friends that also had a really crazy, hard lives at home. And so we would band together to kind of just hide. Um, and it wasn't all bad, but I left feeling like it was all bad because it was all that I could remember was how crappy stuff was so often in my life. And I couldn't reconcile any, it with, any of it with my mind. And, and so I, I left high school hating anything to do with anybody that did anything with money. I was never going to want anything to do with money. I was going to live the simplest life that I possibly could. And I was never going to even desire to want to take vacations with my kids because I just wanted to spend time with them. Because it's all that I could ever think that I ever wanted more from my parents was just time with my parents. And there was just all of this craziness that happens. And I leave high school, 
and I get, to sa- I get saved at the end of my high school year, and I leave, and I go to college, and I pick a college that my, one of my other good friends that I banded together with went to was Eastern University. It was a pretty solid Christian school at the time. I had just gotten saved a year earlier, and um, I knew that I wanted to, to share this relationship that God had with me, and I'm speeding you up through a lot, and we're going to have a Q&A time after this as we go. So if you want to kind of jot some questions down, I can answer more, fu- more fully for you. But I'm just moving forward here. So I run off. I get to college. Um, series of events happen where I transferred out of Eastern University, and I go into Philadelphia Biblical University. No one ever talked to me about relationships, so I went through four Christian relationships in the two years that I was Eastern University, still with no one really to disciple me or teach me anything about any of that, so I'm trying to figure it all out on my own. My body's doing crazy stuff that I don't want it to do anymore because I've been saved, and I'm stuck in all of this life, and I'm still dealing with all the stuff that I went through at home, not having any idea why it's still coming up and why I can't just love my parents where they are and all of this. I'm still running, right? Everywhere I go, I'm running for something different. And the more that I run, the more I'm blacking out all of the good stuff around me. All I remember all day long is all of the nastiness and the turmoil and the challenges and wondering why. And I did everything I possibly could to put all of that behind me and just forget about it, to never have to deal with any of it. It was never going to be a part of my life, ever moving forward again, and that was going to be it. And a series of events happened at Philadelphia Biblical University where I got into the Word of God. My relationships with my parents were just very distant, right? I wanted to love them. Jesus calls me to love my parents and respect them, respected and honored them. I got to that place where um, I did respect and honor them, but didn't really remember. I remember having a conversation with my mom, and her saying, don't you remember all the good stuff that we did? And I like, I couldn't remember a single thing, right? Like she would mention a vacation where we would go to Colorado, and I couldn't remember anything about that vacation except the time that my mom and my dad were fighting, and I remember being in the car that night driving on these mountains with my dad speeding at 90 miles an hour, feeling like I was going to die on a vacation that we were supposed to go as a family for, right? This is what my parents work all of their life for, is to go on vacations, and here we are so that they can look back and say, don't you remember? And everything is blurred out beyond that, right? So Jesus starts to work with me. I I meet my current wife in my sophomore year of college, first year of being at Philadelphia Biblical University, um, that is Laura. Probably show you a little bit of it. Uh, I think she's in one of the pictures a little bit later. Laura comes from a totally different background. In fact, Laura's parents were a part of the original church plan of this church here in New Jersey with Pastor Lloyd when he first came out here from California. That's crazy, right? And she had this life where she grew up in a youth group just like you guys are sitting in. I mean, she had people that were pouring into her and sharing God with her, and her parents had veggie tails on. Like, I still, my wife makes references with my son about veggie tails, and I'm like, I don't know a single episode of veggie tails. And I'm watching this, and she's like, it's not what it used to be. I don't know anything about veggie tails. So I meet this wonderful, godly woman who had never dated another boy because she was waiting on the Lord. She's in college, girls. And I got to tell you, as a husband, as someone dating her, 
to know that she was praying for me when she was your age and, and trusted in the Lord to do so, it is possible. I'm going to tell you that it's possible. And it was the greatest blessing to me, someone who had defiled myself completely. Of course, you imagine the grace that she has to share with me and the challenge that she has to come into. But, so I, got, I, get, I, get, I get this relationship happening, and then all of a sudden I find myself calling her parents, mom and dad, before we're even engaged. Because there was this, like, clinging to. They're, they're just, like, all this wonderful. And so here I am from Pennsylvania. One of the main vacations we took was to Ocean City, New Jersey every year. I love the beach. We only went once a year for a week at a time. And I had this passion and a love and a desire for the beach. I just love being at the beach. And I meet this girl who grew up at the beach. And for her, it's like not even anything tomorrow. You guys just hop in the car and you go to the beach. Like, you take it for granted. I wake up and go to the beach every morning now with a group of guys, and we spend our time running and praying there, and we're working through life issues together and living life together there. But, but so, so I come to this place where I never in my life imagined that I would be married to an Italian girl from New Jersey, and not only that, but that I would move to New Jersey for her. I always thought that I was going to go home, right? I thought my journey was going to be that God was going to take me out of Pennsylvania— he was going to clean me up, teach me his word, and then I was going to go back to that place because that's where I'm called to because I know that I wasn't alone. That there are thousands of kids in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania who go through the same stuff that I was going through. And I thought for sure that Jesus was doing something in my life and then I met my wife. And my wife didn't want to go anywhere else other than New Jersey. But for the first time in my life, I knew that I was going to make her my I knew I wanted to be committed to her. Right? I had some people that were teaching me some things, and I don't have a lot of time to fill in all of this. The reason I'm sharing even glimpses with you is because I find myself today where I am living and in the way that I am living every single day the Lord is showing me a new piece of what he did years and years and years and years ago that I tried to blot out that he uses now. And I had no idea that he was building into my life to prepare me for what Ephesians is going to tell us is a good work for me to walk in now. And only I'm able to walk in the good works that he's prepared me for. So let me catch you up to speed. We came, we got married, I moved out to New Jersey. We taught at a, I, I taught uh, Bible classes and technology classes at a Christian school down by Six Flags, like a small little Christian school down there the first year we got married. I love the beach so much that I found a house in Avon that had a little apartment. Yeah, my man Hall. I had a little apartment, right? I mean, this apartment, it, it was like, it was two tiny rooms, and they were the ceiling. So like the rooms were like a closet that we were living in for our first year, but we didn't spend any time in that house. Anytime. You know why? Because I love the beach. And even in the winter, we were taking bike rides. I would make Laura bundle up. I'd be like, we're going to the beach. She's like, it's 20 degrees out and snowing. What are you talking about? We can't be inside. We have to go to the beach. We have to take this. I was driving 45 minutes to work because of that. Like, or this is just a new thing for me, and I'm loving it. And then the Lord opens an opportunity up here with Pastor Lloyd to come on staff. And for the second time in my life, the day that I came on staff, 
is the day that one of the other pastors actually had fallen into sin. And I walked in that Sunday morning after it happened on a Saturday night. And within two weeks, I think I had a key to every single door in this building. I was opening and closing the safe. I was counting the money. And I found myself working before we had a kid in our first year and a half of marriage here 50 hours a week. I married into a family that my wife had a lot of school debt. I mean, like, lots, close to $100,000 worth of school debt. And I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't have any debt. But I loved my wife. That was the price I paid. So I didn't know how in the world I was going to do that. I was making not even anywhere close to what the world will tell you you have to make to be able to get to where you need to be or whatever, you know, you know what they're all telling you, right? You got to find a career and build a nice big house and all these cool things, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I hope that the word will speak to you this evening. So um, we come up here, and uh, I love this place. I love it here. We used to have, we used to have, Jimmy and Emily were here with me during the beginnings of this, right? When I came into I- Imprint, probably two years into being here on staff, there was eight people at that young adult group. And for a year, guys, listen to me, for a year, I came and I sat on one of those benches out there that Jimmy had just built because of his Eagle project with a fire. I started a fire and like two, three people were coming. A year. And all I heard from the Lord was just be faithful, just be here. Just hear my word. Just just be here. I'm like, Lord, I'm working 50 hours a week. Like, I'm tired. I want to go home to Laura. She's mad at me because she doesn't understand why I'm gone and why she, you know, it's, I mean, it's like craziness. And, and within, what, year and a half maybe, right? The Lord, the Lord started to develop and shape in me, like, my ministry, right? I started to figure out what my giftings were and what I loved. And pretty soon, I got really content and I dug my roots in here and I loved what I was doing and where the Lord had called us. We bought this house off of, uh, off of Craigslist. We, I bought a house on Craigslist. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I bought a house on Craigslist and you can ask Jimmy this later. I bought a house on Craigslist and t- just to tell you how bad it was. So we bought the house, very, very cheap price, right, right across the street over, over on uh, English Town Road. And originally, it was like a cool thing, right? We were going to put some paint on the walls, and we were going to go in and do our thing. And uh, I remember Laura left for like an hour and a half to go get lunch, and we're, we're in the middle of this, of this thing. And by the time she got back, I had removed half of the sheetrock in the house. And she was like, I thought we were just painting. <laughs> and I said, I can't, I can't just do this halfway. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but I got to keep going. And I spent the next two years renovating that house. I mean, we stripped it down to absolutely nothing. We have some crazy pictures. You can ask Jimmy and Emily. Jimmy, Jimmy, I wouldn't have been able to do it without good old Jimmy here. I mean, nights, the evenings, the extras, right? Why am I telling you this? <laughs> Why am I telling you this? No, it has great purpose. So we build this house, and Laura gets to pick the paint colors and... I, we had the insulation done. The electric was brand new. I ran all the plumbing myself. Like, there wasn't going to be a leak in this place for 50 years. 
I was putting floors down going, even when I'm, when I'm dead and gone, somebody ripping these floors up is going to have a real heck of a time because it's not going anywhere. And by the time we finally got it 92% done, the Lord opened up an opportunity 30 minutes south of here in a little town called Allenwood, which is where I currently am living. Now, Calvary Chapel's model of planning a church is you go out, you get a full-time job, and when you're able and you build a church normally in a warehouse or a school or whatever it was that, you know, the Lord would kind of do his thing. So I always anticipated that when I would go out, that's what it would be. I would probably get a construction job. I'd have to, law, you know, do lawn care, stuff that I, I began to realize that I grew up doing and I had giftings and I had no idea why I had giftings in it. Right, I thought that the gifts that the Lord gave me for being able to build were for the house that I just renovated. So the Lord opens this door, and I never in a million, million years, my, my Instagram handle is the Parsonage Pastor. You know why that is? Because I live across the street from a church that only seats 110 people in the church's Parsonage. Like, I live in a house that the church owns. That doesn't, that's not normal today. You're all like, so what? That's not normal today, right? Pastors are often told, live 15, 20 minutes away from the church so that you're not really bothered by people. My neighbors know that I'm the pastor. My neighbors have these ridiculous dogs that I just, you, you, don't, you don't even know, you're laughing, but it's I mean, seriously a really bad thing. And some days I want to scream out my window, shut your dogs up! But you know what the problem is? I'm the pastor of the church across the street, and I'm supposed to be witnessing Jesus to them, and I can't get away with that. So now I'm wrestling with all of these things. Why am I going here? Because when I came into this church, there were eight people left again. Nobody had painted the place. My first day of preaching in this church building, I watched paint fall from the tin ceiling onto people's heads. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Zach, you got some pictures there? So sh get, bring the picture up of the uh, bring the picture up of the inside that looks like there's tarps everywhere. Check this out. So within the first year. Guess what I had been doing all year? Building projects. Non-stop building projects. And I don't mean building like the church, right? You talk about building from a pastor. Like, oh yeah, ministering to people, I'm building. No, I'm like back gutting places again, repainting places again, all of the stuff. Except this time, I did it twice as fast as I did the first time in the house. This time... I knew what not to get into and what to get into. This time, I also had Jimmy there helping me every single day. Poor guy, I don't know why he's still with us. I just work him to death all the time. Um, Zach, give me, the, give me a picture of this finish now. So over, over one weekend, what, did we do it in two weekends? Oh, it was two weekends, right? So, so one weekend, we pulled those pews out. They, 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 we unscrewed them from the, from the bottom of the thing. We put them in the basement where our kids' ministry currently is, and we started to get to work at this tin. That white, that white stuff, that's tin. They're like tin panels. Do you have the picture? It looks like, like um, you can see the tin, and it looks like the paint's trying to be like stripped off. 
No. It's a, it's a close-up of that ceiling. All right, whatever. So we, we pulled these pews out. We had a company come in, and they sandblasted the whole thing. They used 5,000 pounds of crushed glass. And that was all the tarps in the last picture. And then we brought the pews back up again with the whole ceiling the way that it was. And then that Sunday, again, we ripped the pews out again. We brought them back downstairs again. And then we rented scaffolding. And for a whole week, Jimmy, two of the other guys, and myself were there, like, spraying this ceiling for, like, eight people. (laughs) And I had no idea why I was doing what I was doing. Like, why, Lord— I just got finished building a house. Like our, the house even, the parsonage, was a mess itself too. My dad never did anything handy. I, I actually am teaching my dad things that have to do with construction. But I've always been, I started, I remember when I was your age, probably a little bit younger, I remember building tree forts and in my mind, imagining that I was having a competition with another dude over a girl, and it was whoever could build the better tree fort, right, to, like, live in. Seriously. And I would, like, build these tree forts, and I I had no idea why I was doing it. My dad thought I was nuts. Every time I built a tree fort, he'd come out and, like, he'd rip the thing down. He'd tell me I wasn't allowed to have it. I'm like, Dad, how am I going to get a wife if I don't build a tree fort the way it's supposed to be built? I I just was doing this. I don't know why. And I'm here in this building, and I was here at CCOB, and I'm starting to remember, like, okay, that's why I do this. You know, one of, my, one of the jobs, one of the jobs that I have to fulfill as the pastor at this church, what do you think it is? Any ideas? I have to mow the lawn. And it's not a chore. Like, I'm the pastor, and the lawn has to be mowed every week. But you know what's funny? I love to mow the lawn. You know why I love to mow the lawn? Because when I mow the lawn at my house, I put my headphones on, and I listen to Christian music, and I didn't think about what was going on around me. And I thought that it was just, oh, there it is. Zach, I told you I had it. Told you. I used to put my headphones on, and it used to be an escape for me. And I was cutting the lawn last summer, and I was like, oh, snap, Lord. Who else in New Jersey, likes to mow the lawn. (laughs) And I'm reading this verse that we're about to go into. Zach, pull up the picture of the tractor. That's me. Some of you don't know that I used to do Christian rap. Did you know that? But I grew up on tractors mowing lawns. How does that work? It works because God declares in his word that beforehand he has prepared us to walk in good works. And I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 specifically right now. You live in a world where you spend 
so much time listening to everyone tell you what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to like to dress and the way that, girls, you're supposed to be beautiful and, guys, the way that you're supposed to wear your hats or the way that you're supposed to like or not like something or how much people are liking this music or that music. You live in a world where you are inundated with people that tell you what to do. And not that this is bad, right, because I know there are some parents in here, but we even are in a culture and in a day where we grew up with everybody around us even telling us what we're supposed to do, even with good intention. My sister, my sister is two years younger than I am. My sister and I had this unique connection because while everything was going on with my parents, she would run to me, and I became like her comforter. And so... I watched my sister when I got saved a year afterwards. She went on this missions trip. And I still to this day, I know that girl is called to be a missionary. I thought for sure that I had God's timing down better than him because it was supposed to be a while ago. But it hasn't, right? Like she's on this journey to figure that out. But I watched her have this desire and this passion for missions. Like you... My sister in an orphanage, it's like, you just know that you know that you know, but she comes home, and it's like, well, how are you going to pay for that? And so she was thrown into this track of nursing and spending years and years and years trying to get a good job, and then she's going back again to make more money. And, and that all, because of who God is and what he promises, that that is a good thing, and that he he still works and is working in and through her, right? But I know that she had a calling. She, she has this passion and this desire, and she's starting to use it. She's starting to see it again, and she's starting to take missions trips again. But, but my, my point in saying that is that we even, like, everyone is trying to tell you who you ought to be and what you ought to like and how you're supposed to do everything that you're supposed to do, and you're not supposed to be like them. You're not supposed to, to do, there's never been the same snowflake. I have four churches around me. I'm in an age right now where most of the pastors that I meet are competing for how many people they can get into their church building. I'm not kidding. The only thing that's given me freedom from that rat race is the fact that I know that I've been called to the 110 seating per, you know, church building with the vision that the Lord's given me specifically to lead the people that he's placed me in. In the middle of New Jersey, mowing a lawn every week, living across the street in a parsonage, being vulnerable to the business owner, two houses down, and my neighbors see me at my worst and they see me at my best, and I have to live out the gospel. God created me for where I am today. I didn't know it before then. Ephesians chapter 2 declares... I'm going to start in 8, not chapter, yeah, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works unless anyone should boast. In other words, Paul is saying this has nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus has saved you and redeemed you and bought you from, from the depths of, of debt that you are never going to be able to repay. It is all his working. When you hear 
works when you get into college, when you start to talk about some of these things. There's this big debate. Salvation is not, you can't earn your favor before God. You can't earn you being good enough for God to then be able to do these things. He has accomplished the work of salvation. Verse 9 says, Not of works unless anyone should boast. And then 10 here is our verse for tonight. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the things in my church we live in this mad historic town. I mean, it's like a bubble. Like if you were to come to Allenwood and visit me, it's like somebody has preserved 1850 in this one mile radius. We have a general store. I don't have a mailbox. I have to walk to the post office to pick up my mail. Yes, it's frustrating <laughs> when I go to Instagram and I have email and I have to walk to pick up my mail. In fact, the, the mail ladies probably not a good testimony to them, but I, I bring a box because I don't go there frequently as I should, and I just know that I'm going to not, I'm going to walk away with a box of mail that I'm going to have to sort through. So we're in this bubble of this historic town in this church that we're in, and there's a graveyard that our church is connected to, like the old white building you saw in the picture. All right, you can take that one down. <laughs> Look at it out there. Um, and this graveyard, our town, the church, bef- the, the, the church that, I was, that I came into had like, they had been years without a pastor and they have lots of crazy stuff that was going up and down and, and it just was a really bad situation. And even the, the graveyard next to the church was overgrown because nobody wanted to take care of it. And it's not even the churches, but everyone in the town thought that it was the churches. It was a terrible example and a witness. Everyone assumed that it was the church's, but because the church didn't think it was theirs, or they, they, they were pretty sure that it wasn't theirs, they weren't going to take care of it. And here I come in, loving to mow the lawn, and all of a sudden my neighbors are coming out. Like, I'm not knocking on their doors. They're coming while I'm on my tractor and stopping me and going, thank you so much for cleaning this up. I'm like, yeah, it's a cemetery. Like, why are you walking through the cemetery? This is weird right now, Right? But it's important to the people in my town. And I'm watching Jesus have prepared these good works beforehand. Something as silly and simple as mowing a lawn. That he built in me when I was three. I grew up around tractors. I I loved to mow the lawn. I, I loved it even more when it became a place of escape for me. Now I study my sermons for an hour in the morning and I go out on my tractor and I, Jesus talks to me while I'm mowing my lawn. Like, it's crazy. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I need you to hear me this morning. The word that I want you to walk away with today is that you have purpose. You have purpose. And no one else in this world is able to tell you what that purpose is except for the one that created you. And that is God. And God does not make mistakes. And God does not make it perfectly easy for you. Just just four days ago, I had this thing happened in my church that wasn't even a big thing that anybody else even knew about. It was a relational issue. And all of a sudden, I was taking it out, and my frustration's at home, and so my wife and I are not, are not, you know, communicating well. When we're not 
yelling, but we're just not good. Like, she's pregnant, about to have a baby. Why am I, what is wrong with me here, and I'm dealing with this, and all of a sudden, I find myself turning to food. Like, it was 12 o'clock, and I got in my car, and I drove to the shop right, and I went into the shop right because I knew that she wanted eggs, and I went and I got the eggs, and after getting the eggs, I literally, I'm, go- I'm walking back and forth. Bet- I'm like, I'm pretending that I'm looking for other things, but I'm really walking back and forth between the candy aisle. Because in this inward dealing, right, I grew up in a home where there was always ice cream, and there's always sugar, and I know what it does to me. But I know that it feels so good to just deal with whatever I'm dealing with. And I think, well, if I get a candy bar, I'll get really tired and I'll be able to sleep tonight. And it'll just deal with it right now. This is four days ago. I'm a pastor. That's not supposed to be. This life is going to bring trials and tribulations Just because you have purpose does not mean that the purpose that God is calling you to is supposed to be or will be easy. In fact, the times that it is hardest are the times that Jesus is probably using you the most and stretching you the most. God is the one that created you for his purposes. You are his workmanship. He did not make a mistake. He created you through the work of Jesus Christ, and he created you for good works. And listen to this, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One thing before I move on to the next aspect of this, but I want you to hear something. The second part, I'm not supposed to be like you. God created me to be unique. These good works no one else is able to walk in. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. If you don't walk in these good works, no one else is going to because God's prepared them beforehand for you. He created you uniquely to walk in the good works that he's prepared beforehand. There's lots of theological crazy questions that come with that, and I get that, and I understand it. At its simplest form, God created you as his workmanship, and some way, somehow, he has reserved for you each and every day good works, the Bible says. He saved you and redeemed you for a life that is supposed to be abundant and overflowing and filling. That comes with purpose. Listen, I know what it's like to sit on Instagram for an hour and at the end of it feel so stinking deflated. Because my church doesn't have more than 70 people coming on a Sunday. And then my mind goes, do I go on the radio to get more people? Do I start another podcast? Maybe my graphics aren't cool enough. Maybe I need to get some really cool lights and we'll we'll blow out the back of the building and I'll make it look like a warehouse. But I won't care about that because that'll just get people to come. I watch church startups that overnight they hire a band right around the corner from me and they have 400 people attending that church. Do you think I don't sit on that tractor and go, what am I, uh, what am I doing wrong, Lord? Lord, did you really call me for this? And every day I have to remind myself, yeah. And you know what? 
because of how perfectly God has prepared you for where you are right now, by thinking about whether or not you're in the right place all the time, you're probably missing out on fulfilling the good works that you're supposed to be walking in where you are. I intended to spend a lot more time in the Bible tonight. I want to end on this, on this point, and then I really want to open up for questions because, listen, I, I, know, I know that some of you turn to food and you're stuck in these cycles of feeling like garbage and some of you are turning to things that you've never mentioned to anybody. And that's the worst, right? So, I mean, some people do it, and they, and they do it out loud. They're always telling people about it. But I know there are people in here that are dealing with stuff that you've probably never told anybody. And a big part of that comes from feeling like you have no purpose in this world, that you have no, no like, real meaning in this life, and that even if you do, that it's not going to come for another 10 or 15 years. I want you to know that right where you are, if you've been saved and redeemed and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that even in these times of preparation, even in the times of asking this question of like, God, what did you create me for? Like, what is my purpose? That's a good question for you to be asking. But you're never going to find it on Instagram. You're never going to find it from your youth leaders here. You're never going to find it from me. Like, I can't sit here and evaluate how you feel and all of your emotions. And, like, there could be a really good uh, counselor one day that could really get you close. And you're, and you're you know, the, the, the people that you're around can might help point you in and go, yeah, I think that you have this passion and this desire for X, Y, and Z. But at the end of it all, the only one that is able to, and he gives you a way to hear from him, to know what he created for, like what is your purpose on this earth? It has to be more than just staring at your Instagram. It has to be more than feeling like you're not good enough than everyone around you because you're not able to look. And listen, the reality is that most of that stuff is all fake anyway. I, I, I'll never forget the day, Pastor Brian Dumphy's still here. We, this was like Facebook had just, just hit and I remember him being open and vulnerable with me a little bit. And his wife was going through this time where they have, Pastor Brian has like 15 kids. I don't think he has 15 kids. He's got a lot of kids. In fact, when I go over there, I just call it the compound. I'm like, oh, welcome to the compound. There's like kids running everywhere. It's crazy. But I remember him saying that his wife was really dealing with feeling like her life is just a mess all the time. And she looks at Facebook and all of these like, you know, these perfect pictures of the kids smiling and all this. And so Pastor Brian actually created a fake Facebook account. And he took all of the perfect pictures of their family that he could find. And he put them on this Facebook account for her to see. And then when he showed it to her, he pointed out each picture and he said, Hey, do you remember what happened before this picture? Like, do you, do you remember what it took to get this picture? Remember where the kids were going? Like, we spent all this time, we have these perfect little wonderful pictures, and yet you're looking at everybody else's perfect pictures thinking, oh, life is all perfect. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's going on? Like, I, we st you guys deal with that more than anybody. I don't think anybody, I don't, I probably, 
how quickly everything is going, I don't think I even come close to what you deal with on a consistent basis because I've been working through not being addicted to this stuff for a while. And not even that it's even addiction, but it's like this, we're just always looking for purpose all the time. Like I know what it's like to be 17, 18, looking for purpose. God is the one that made you. And he didn't just make you to leave you here and go, I'll figure it out. You know, like, maybe, maybe you'll like to mow the lawn one day, Dave, and I'll kind of catch up later. God desires for you to hear from him and to listen to him and to walk with him daily. And he's given you his word. That is why the word of God, the scriptures, the sword of the spirit, that Jesus uses the word of God to speak to us through the Spirit that we have been sealed with until the day of redemption to intimately be able to walk with God and hear from God. And when Paul says we are his workmanship, you, you have purpose. And it's not supposed to be what the person sitting next to you is. Even if you feel like your purpose is to be a worship leader and the person next to you is supposed to be a worship leader, you're not supposed to be the same kind of worship leader. One of the biggest problems that you all face right now is that the church for the past 30 years has been following after what the world does. Do you know there was a time when the world used to follow the church? Do you know there was a time when when Christians used to be the ones that were in the forefront of music? That, that out of Christian music, the world would go, wow, that's a crazy tune. And they'd mimic? That's true. But for the longest time now, we just follow after the world because we're always looking for that next thing. And God says, I'm the one that made you. And I didn't do it haphazardly. And I love you. And I have great purposes planned beforehand for you and only you. And I just need you to sit long enough to hear from me so that I can tell you where abundant life comes from for you. Because I was intentional about it. I knit you together in your mother's womb. My son is like an amazing musician. He's three years old. I can't play a lick of anything for any period of time. I'm realizing parts of even that. You know, when I, when I, was, uh, when I was nine, piano lessons were really important, right? My, my, my grandfather, my grandmother, and I'm, gonna, I'm closing out soon here so we can get some uh, Q&A. Nine o'clock was my mark, right? On my way over? All right. <laughs> um, I remember, grow- like, everybody in my family plays an instrument, and... I started taking piano lessons, and I remember hating piano within the first year because my dad would come home after who knows what he saw, right? I mean, who knows what he was dealing with as a, as a detective? And he saw, he's, I mean, he got to see the worst of the worst, and for him to have to deal with any of that. But, but so there used to be, when I would practice, if I didn't practice long enough and I missed a note, he would, he would be flaming. His, his veins would be popping out of his neck, and he would, he would, be, he would have his hand on the top of the piano that would shut over the keys. And so if I would, I would literally be, I would be 
wondering if I was going to make the next note because if I didn't do it, he was there ready to slam this thing down and I could lose my fingers. And I hated him for that for years. You know, just last year, because I'm finally working through with a counselor, my mom starts telling me this story about how when my dad was 10 years old, he used to sit outside of the living room where his sisters would get piano lessons and he always wanted to take piano lessons but he was a boy and boys weren't allowed to take piano lessons and the reason that all that anger came out even though it came out on me is because inwardly my dad was in turmoil the, you know the end, end of second thessalonians Paul's writing this letter to the Thessalonian church. Uh, it's first, first Thessalonians, I believe. Uh, where am I going here? Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole that whole is like complete your spirit your soul and your body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful who also will do it i know that most of you here are probably not whole it's probably a part of your spirit or your body or your soul that is broken. And the only place that you're going to find, that God made you to not be broken. He made you to be whole. And he's the only one to, to, to do that work again in you. And he does it through the sanctifying work of his word. Paul in Ephesians talking about how, how husbands ought to love their wives the way that Christ Jesus loved the church as he gave himself for her by the sprinkling and washing of the water, uh, the water of the word that they might be found spotless and blameless at the day of his return. There's this washing and this cleansing that Jesus does for you and I. He, God made you for good works. You have purpose. You were created in his image, and you were created for purpose each and every morning. That means you can wake up and know God didn't make a mistake where you are. He, he didn't... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up questions because... Um, I feel like I'm just kind of rambling again over and over again, but I, I want you to hear you're unique. God created you with purpose to walk in good works that he prepared beforehand, and he's the only one that's going to be able to share with you what they are. And so I'm going to, oh, how, does, how does this even work? I've never even done this. Jimmy, we're going to figure this out, man. I, li I kind of like this. Yeah. Oh, whoa. I'm 30, 30 years old. My wife's 29. Seems like everything is crashing. How can I still go to God in all these seemingly endless trials? I would ask the question, how can you not? This, this life has been plagued by sin. And there is only one hope for any of it to get better, and that is Jesus himself. And it's not, 
knowing more about him. It's not getting all of the answers to your life. It's, it's throwing yourself in his person and letting him wrap his arms around you and comfort you. He is our only hope. How long did you live in Avon and what street? Well, what's happening right now? I don't know what's, how does this work? How did you come to respect your parents after being exposed to their sin? You know, when you get older, if you have some things that you see in your parents, one of the hardest things in life is looking in the mirror one day when your parents are not around anymore, and you go, oh, snap. I'm doing exactly what I never wanted to do because I saw it in them. And I think this is a, this is a life lesson as believers, right? When I knew, when I knew that my dad had all of this pain inside from not ever being able to learn how to play the piano, it was like in an instant, it was like, Wow. It wa- like it wasn't that bad anymore for me. Not that it wasn't bad, but it was bad. But it wasn't that bad because I all of a sudden had this compassion for him. And in having compassion for my dad, it drew me closer to want to be there with him and for him. My dad and I actually surf together now. I got, like for his birthday last year, he got a surfboard and we like go out in the ocean and you know, we still don't talk as much as we do, but you start to realize that everyone around us is plagued by sin in some way or another. And when you start to get around people more and more and you start to see how twisted things really are inside, you can't help to be okay and open and realize that you have these same issues as well. In fact, I believe that that's really where love happens, right? I don't believe we can really truly love the way the Bible calls us to love until we go through difficult times together. I think, I think, I think that's where we're able to actually love, love the best. When will God show me what my calling is? So here's, here's the thing. We like to think of calling as this like 10-year plan, right? I'm called to be a missionary. I, for the longest time, up until recently, I knew that I was called to the Allenwood Church, and I was just doing nothing but building it around. And all of a sudden, the building stopped, and I know that I'm still called to be there. In fact, I want to retire where I am. My, my long-term vision is that we don't grow any further than two church services, and we buy old church buildings, and I send people out to replant the way that we are. Because I just love, I love the challenge and the community. And I, you wouldn't believe the people that come into my church that I have to drive 20 minutes, and I tell them to go find another local church. I had somebody else tell me the other, the other day, Actually, they called me two days ago, and they said, hey, I know you haven't seen us for a little while. We were really convicted by your, by your original, you know, series that you went through, and we just really feel like we need to be somewhere close to our homes. And I was, I was oh, that's such a great idea. And then they hung up, and I'm like, oh, I guess another person that's not in my church, Lord. Like, why are you, why are you doing that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. It's, that's what I did. That's what I know that I'm here for. So that's what I'm there for. So calling, calling is something that there are probably gifts and talents and things that you love to do. I mean, I still love hip-hop and rap music. I, I, was, I put out three CDs. I was trying 
to, to make my music happen. But after years, I realized that the only reason I was doing music is because I wanted to draw people closer to the Lord. And, you know, I haven't written a song in I don't know how long, but you know what I write? I write sermons every week. Like, I preach, and I'm finding the same creativity and that God's speaking to me the way that he used to speak to me when I was writing my songs because this is where he has me now. These are the good works that I'm, that I'm in. The calling that he's called me to is that there's a generic calling and there's a specific calling, and the specific calling is, is no, it's always changing. It's supposed to be changing. That's the exciting thing about it, right? You're in a process of sanctification. I never wake up next to the same woman every day. Like, every day I wake up, because of God promises that he's the one that started a good work in me and in my wife, and he's the one to promise to finish it, which means that every day my wife wakes up as a different person. Every day I wake up next to a person that I have new things to learn about. Do I always remember that? No, she doesn't remember it either. It takes us weeks to remember that, right? But the world will say, I just don't love her anymore. I don't, I don't really love this about her and that person. You know, she just changed. She's not who she used to be. Because for some reason we have this idea, like we're supposed to be what you pick right now. If you're going to be a missionary, you're never allowed to leave. You're just going to have to be a missionary all the time. So there's this, there's this calling where God gave you passions and desires, be pursuing them, walking in them, but, but don't ever allow those things to be so gripped onto and held onto to the point where you're not ultimately gripping and holding on to Jesus and the Lord. I guess that's my point, is that you're in a sojourn here, and as big of a deal as everybody makes this be, like you only have 100 years and pick your career and pick all of this, the thing that really matters for us most is that you walk each and every day with God who created you. He's the one that created you. And every day it could be different. You might, that might totally change in, in 10 years. My parents argue over money all the time. I think they're near divorce. I don't know what to do. Advice. Uh, can, is it, can they answer if I ask the question back? No? No, it's not, it's not able to do that? All right, so I'll have to break this down. Um, so I'd say, I'd say two things. Number one, if they claim to be Christians, right? So this is where, where we would first go. In fact, maybe this will kind of touch on... Why are you all laughing? What happened? Can we hear you rap something? Uh, Zach, pull up my old SoundCloud. No, you don't want to? All right, no, no, am I messing you up? All right, hold on, hold on. So, so I want to I answer this question for you. So the, the Bible tells us that if we see a brother or a sister, the Greek is, is uh, either way, it's, it's a neuter. Um, if we see a brother or a sister in sin that does not lead to death, that we're called to pray for them. That means that if you're walking with God, prayer is the communication, right? So we're listening or we're speaking back and forth from him. And so if your parents claim to be Christians, pray. If they're not Christians, I would say still continue to pray for both of them. And, you know, one of the hardest things as a pastor is that I see people make really bad decisions all the time. People close to me and there's, there's a part of that where I still wrestle with it. There's a part of it where 
the most that you can do is draw closer to the Lord because what happens is we start to, we start to look to our parents and the way that they treat one another, and you're going to find as you get older that you actually, you actually portray the same characteristics to your parents, uh, to, to God that you grow up seeing in your parents. So like um, for the longest time, when I would fall in sin, I would always think that God would pull away from me for like three or four days. And that was just the result of like whatever it was. Because when, my, when I did something wrong or disappointed my dad, he literally like, would, he would shun me. Like I wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me. He would be disappointed with me for three days until it weared off one day. And I never knew when it would wear off. And I found most of my, the beginnings of my Christian life assuming that God was like that with me. That like when I did something wrong that I, I had to earn it back and I had to work really hard to be a good, a good boy again. And then he pat me on the back and that, you know, like you have, you, if, you, if you're not in the word, if, if you're not allowing God to tell you who he is, then it's very easy for us to look to the examples that we have around us. I think God, Jesus redeeming those things are wonderful for us to get from, right? There's a reason that, that marriage is related to Jesus and the church. Like when you get married one day, th- this, this whole idea of purpose, this like changes the game for dating, right? Like my wife and I were created together. God had prepared beforehand that she and I walk in the good works that we're walking in together. Like, I couldn't do what I'm doing without my wife. Some people don't see her a lot, but I, 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 I couldn't do a lot. So if they're, if they're believers, pray for them. If they're not believers, you pray, you cling to God, and do everything that you can to hear from him and to love them where they are. And, and I, listen, there's, there's, there's no dumbing down of the reality of how deeply this hurts us and breaks us and so there's no like you don't hide that is all i'm saying is don't don't pretend like everything is fine because when you're pretending on the outside you're probably pretending on the inside and and god really like find a room or if you're able to drive or somebody's able to take you somewhere like just go literally cry out to the lord like draw near to him the bible the, the, the bible promises God promises us that if we draw near to him, that he draws near to us. And so do that. Do that. Take your pain and your anguish and your sugar cravings at 12 o'clock, right? And it's like, like whatever that is, the more that you get to know God and you realize the way that he responds to you, the more in those challenging times, instead of running away, you're get, you'll start clinging to him more and more because that, that's, really our, that's really where we need to find ourselves in the being. Uh, what do I do if I feel like my life isn't going anywhere? Uh, first of all, life is going somewhere. Um, there's not a day that goes by that you really stay in the same place. Um, if you are a believer and you know Jesus, then there is great purpose in knowing who Christ is, and he's the only one that can give you that purpose. Um, if, if you're feeling like your life is going nowhere, uh, I first hope that you know that the God that created you, if you don't know Jesus, you are separated from, and that he sent his son to, to do what the Bible calls reconciliation, 
And that whole idea of reconciliation is that you need a Savior and that Jesus himself in being your Savior is the only one that's able to bring you back to God. In fact, um, for all of you that are listening and might, might even be in this spot, there's a, there's a couple of verses here. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 12, I think says this the best. Um, he's right into this Corinthian church. And he says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, let now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is what I want you to hear if you are in a place where you're feeling like your life is not going anywhere. Um, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When you say, when somebody says to me, my life isn't going anywhere, your thought process is in today and tomorrow and on this earth. And the grace of God is allowing for us to be on what the, what the Bible calls this sojourn, where the, the reality is that the, the first place that we need to go, the first, the first thing that you need most, like when you say my life isn't going anywhere, the place your life always must go is towards God. You were created to be in relationship with him. And until that is reconciled, until that is, that is brought back again, there's no, there's no purpose in anything. Like, you should be looking at life and feeling like my life isn't going anywhere if you don't know who Jesus is. Because there's nothing else that's going to give you purpose. Nothing. Listen to me. Nothing. Do you know, there are so many people in this world that spend 40 and 50 years thinking that they found out what's going to bring them purpose and that their life is going somewhere and they get to the end of it and nothing, none of it ever fulfills them. I think it was Jay-Z who a year ago mentioned that, that he has all this money and every time that he makes more, he's still empty and so he strives to get more and more and more. That's what drives he and Beyonce. They still feel like their, wor their life is not going where it needs to go. They're billionaires right now. Humanity was created to walk with God. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he walked with them daily. That is the first place you all need to go to. That has to be. And you can't go there if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus beckons you. The Bible literally says that through, even through me right now, God was in Christ. He was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that, that word, the truth, Jesus himself, is the one who joins us back with God again, our creator, who created us as his workmanship to walk in good works that he laid out beforehand. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. 
My responsibility as a Christian is to plead on behalf of God that you would be reconciled to him again because there's n- this life is never going to give you anything that you think you need that everybody's telling you that you need all the time. It's never going to help you. If you don't have God, you are going to find yourself empty over and over and over again and satisfied briefly, momentarily, over and over and over again, the only thing in this life that is worth having and losing everything else for is God himself. And it's when we find that and we walk with him that you're able to look at this and this purpose becomes no longer that. And again, like when I, when I watch, when I'm on Instagram and I see that, ne- that new church, like I forget that. Like, I forget that the greatest blessing I have is that God is right there with me while I'm mowing the lawn. Like, that's why Jesus died for me. Not so I can build this massive church or, like, that these good works are what I ought to, like, find my purpose and my satisfaction in. No, like, you, you need to know that you were created first to walk with God and to, be, and, to, and to be joined with him and to live this life with him. How do you gain the courage to open up about trials that you haven't told anybody? Oh boy. Um, so one of the things that I started doing uh, with, actually it ends up being my brother-in-law right now, just because it is. So people come in and out of my church all the time. I've had many times where I'm, I, I tend to wear my, my emotions on my sleeve and I'm like open and honest with people. And it, it's gotten me so hurt so many times because I spend so much energy pouring into people. And then it's like, because we have all these freedoms in life, they don't like one or two things and they just leave and they just bounce out of my life. And it's like all of a sudden I'm stuck at square one again. So one of the, one of the values in our church, our, our church's values are one, our desire is to be one authentic family on mission. And that one in the beginning is the idea of being committed to one another. And it's a process. And so it begins, I think, with someone that you have around you that you're able to trust, even if it's one person. Um, maybe that's your leader here. Maybe it's just being open and honest, right? I mean, I, I have people that are with me right now that were sitting in your shoes and in some massive amounts of sin. And, and I, I know what it's like to run when you're found out and feel like this is it. It's all over. Um, I mean, unfortunately, you guys are going to go look for jobs, and the first place somebody's going to look into your life is on Facebook. They're going to see everything that you post, right? So there's this idea where, like, you're already wearing stuff where, like, you're never going to be able to get that back again. Like, like, like if your reputation is that way, so, so it's extra for you, right? It's, it's probably extra important that you continue to huddle around people and live in community because it, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a large part of... of um, it's a large part of this, this walk. Once you met your wife and you were dating, how did you make sure you kept God above her? Um, this was hard for her, easy for me. And I say hard for her, easy for me, because I had been— Oh, we got to be done. Huh? Okay. All right, so— All right. Um, so— because I had gone through what I went through and the Lord had revealed himself to me in the way that he did, I learned a lot about myself and I committed 
that I would not kiss another girl until I knew that I was going to make her my wife. And my wife grew up never dating anybody and watching princess movies about, like, how wonderful the first kiss is. And so I came in pretty clear, right? At that point, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, and so she knew that right up front. I knew that I was in this place where I know the destruction that happens when I don't obey the Lord, and so I knew that I was not even going to play around with the things that I was so tempted with before because at that point, the Lord had like changed my heart in wanting to know and to keep and preserve her heart the way that it was. And so she'll even tell you for the first seven, eight months of our relationship, it was really awkward. Um, but I'll, I will forever be grateful for that because the, when, I, when I knew that she was going to be my wife, it was over, like, like, I was just committed to her. And in fact, that's kind of one of the things that we always deal with people with premarital counseling is that, that we're, we live in such a time where so many people, your, your life is never tied to anything, guys. And that is so opposite of what God calls us to. Right? You think about how far you can take that. I mean, if, if you have the opportunity, something gets too hard for you, like, you just pick up and move. Like, you just go to a different group of friends or you— shut down your Facebook page, or you block this person, and you block that person, right? You have the, the opportunity to just kind of pull away and not be when things get hard or difficult, and what do you, like, why do you, where do you think divorce comes from? It's just like, there's like no commitment anymore, you know? And so, you're unfortunately in a generation that's going to have to pick up this banner again. Like, you're going to have to hear from the Lord and ask for Him to restore faithfulness like like he created for it to be marriage is just an example like marriage is supposed to be a testimony of god's commitment to his church and yet you rarely i mean even even within churches it's like it's just so selfish and self-centered and like if there's like i know you're hungering for purpose and so my intention tonight was simply to draw you closer to god and god will speak to you here and this is true. This is true. This, this is everlasting to everlasting. Revelation says that anyone that adds or takes away a jot or a tittle will be, will be worthy of more condemnation than you could ever imagine. Like, this will not change. Do you know? Think about it. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, even go back to MySpace and SoundCloud or something— I, yeah, I guess SoundCloud's a, a newer one. None of those things existed bef be before 2004. Like you guys are getting hit with, they say we're in the greatest communication shift that's happened in 500 years since the printing press. That's crazy how fast you are being hit with things. If you don't have a place to turn to, all you're doing is filling yourself with a whole bunch of knowledge that's just going to, you're just going to be running around in circles. Like, this is everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is a rock, a firm foundation. All the world has to offer is sinking sand. You hear the little songs that you, the little kids are singing and that 
maybe a part of the worship. Like these things are true. They come out of the word of God. Will you uh, just, just start letting God speak to you and walk with him each and every day and he will do a marvelous, magnificent work. Just lay your life down before him. Let him show you what he created you for. Let him show you what he has before you each and every day that you wake up in the morning. And, and it will never get old. It'll come with struggles and challenges, and it's not supposed to be easy, but it will never get old. I want to retire where I am. Like, that's, think about that. Like, I'm 30 years old. We're probably going to do radio broadcasts in three or four months, but I've committed to my congregation that I'm never going to, to want to rebuild because I believe that the Lord has developed this passion and desire in me for community again and people that are committed to living life together through the ups and the downs because that's, that's what Jesus created me to walk in. That doesn't mean everybody's going to go to a small church. It just means that that's where Jesus has called me right now. And, and you, you got it. It's the only place you can find it. It's the only place you can find it is, is Jesus himself. So, um, you know, I, we could sit here and talk about all these little issues and conversations all you want. At the end of the day, the, the, the real answers are going to come from him. So, you just uh, you draw yourself near, and the word promises that he will draw near to you. God promises, he promises you that. He does. He does. So, Joe, I'm just going to close it out in prayer. So we do. Jesus, we look to you. We thank you that you are the one.